You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, Bills fans. Welcome to the very first off-season episode of the Mafia Mavens podcast. Our podcast is all about the Buffalo Bills from an all-female perspective. I'm your host, Danielle, and I have with me my host, Robin. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about lots of different things, including the wildcard playoff game against the Houston Texans this past Saturday. The very first thing I want to talk about is someone that is so polarizing kind of like Josh Allen, on Twitter with Bills fans. And that is Brian Dable. Lots of people hate him. Lots of people love him. And there's kind of no in-between with him. I want to know your thoughts, Robin. Should he stay or should he go? (laughs) Well, I am solidly, without a doubt, in the camp that he should stay if we're lucky enough to keep him. Because, of course, we all know that he interviewed yesterday for the head coaching position in Cleveland. And I'm not really sure I've heard much today. I've been kind of busy in terms of how that interview went. Who I think they're also interviewing Jim Schwartz from the Philadelphia Eagles as well. I think they've already conducted a couple other interviews. I think they actually interviewed Mike McCarthy. They could take their time now because I think all of the coaching positions, the head coaching positions anyway, have been filled. So it might be a little while before we even hear anything. It could be, but regarding his leaving, and I think I'll back up a minute first and talk about what you pointed out is so true. At least when I look at my Twitter timeline, people's opinions of Brian Dayball are extreme. As you pointed out, kind of like Josh Allen, people either love him or hate him, and there's very little in between. I'm probably in the love him camp. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't times that I haven't been frustrated with him and some of the play calling from time to time, but I think he's very creative. I think he has an excellent relationship with Josh, and I think the ability for Josh to make the next big step in his development would be so enhanced if he was in the same offense for a third year in a row. I agree. Continuity is such a big deal, and McDermott preached it. He said, we want to keep most of our staff, if all of our staff. So that's a big, big, big deal for me and for him and for the team. And we've seen it with past regimes where they were constantly replacing offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, special teams coordinators. And it just doesn't work because then you have to learn a new system and a new coach's personality and, you know, get that rapport with him like you did with the last coach. It's just for me, I'm in the love him camp as well. I do like Brian Dable. And I've seen it before said on Twitter that a lot of the times it's an execution problem with this team. Again, it's a younger offense. A lot of the players coming in were new. Josh Allen's a young quarterback. We don't, other than Devin Singletary, maybe John Brown at times, we don't really have a star-studded offense. So yeah, there were execution problems. There were times when 
there was miscommunication between Josh Allen and the receivers or times that the receivers just didn't catch the ball or, you know, for whatever reason, the offensive line didn't block correctly and something happened and, you know, Josh Allen was sacked right away. And those can't all be pinned on Brian Dable. Brian Dable's not in there playing in the trenches with the quarterback and the running back and the wide receiver. He's calling the plays, but they're just not executing. Now, I know there's an issue where people were really upset during the wild card game against Houston that they used Frank Gore so much because it seems like Frank Gore's coming to that end or to the end of the line situation where he's just not playing as well. And there's a lot of negative plays. And Sean McDermott was actually asked about that. I believe it was Sean McDermott. And he said, okay, but you can't just have one running back playing every single play. It's not going to work like that. One is going to get tired. They're going to get overworked. They're going to get hurt, you know, God forbid. And that's when you see mistakes like fumbling and negative plays and whatnot. So yeah, that's who we have. We have Frank Gore and we have Devin Singletary. You know, people could make the case for TJ Yeldon. Yeah, I like TJ Yeldon, but as you said earlier, when we were talking, he has a fumbling issue. Maybe they didn't trust that in the wildcard game where Frank Gore, he's not known to fumble at least. So there's different things and different reasons why Dable does the things he does. But overall, I do think he's a great offensive coordinator and he, Josh loves him. And that's a big deal for me. If your quarterback loves the offensive coordinator, keep him. It's a really, I mean, above average relationship. You know, you see OCs having good relationships with quarterbacks, but this relationship looks exceptional, to be honest. Probably the only critique I would have of Dayball from time to time, and it just leaves me kind of stymied at times why in the middle of some games they abandon the running game. You know, I get it if you're behind and that sort of thing, but that that isn't always when he does it. And it seems like the running game never really got completely established all season. Did it seem that way to you? Yeah, it did seem like there were plenty of times when we were running the ball well and then just kind of went away from it, which didn't make much sense to me. But, you know, Crystal and I were actually talking on the phone, I think it was yesterday, and we had said, you know, maybe there's a reason for that. For instance, last year, it was all about Josh Allen running, right? Mm -hmm. We saw how, you know, that was the talk of the NFL or one of the big topics of the NFL last year was we didn't know Josh Allen was such a good runner. You know, we didn't expect him to be like Lamar Jackson, but he was, and he made some really great plays with his feet. This year, it seemed like they tried to focus in on him throwing the ball. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe it's just me thinking this way, but I almost think that it was set up where they wanted him to pass more than anything, so that he can get used to being a passer in the NFL as well as a runner, to be that dual threat kind of quarterback. That's an interesting thought for a couple reasons, because in his rookie season, it was a tale of two seasons for Josh in terms of his passing efficiency, because in his rookie season, it seemed like he was much more effective on the deep ball than he was in the second season. And his short and intermediate passes were kind of crappy in his rookie season, and and they sharpened up a lot this past season. So, you know, he's he's still clay that we're trying to mold. And I think that's the other thing that irritates me about social media is the need to be so judgmental and come to rapid conclusions about things when really it takes a long time to nurture a quarterback, and especially one as raw as Josh was when he was drafted. And here's what I feel like, too. 
I listened to the press conferences um, yesterday from, or was it today? I, I, why do I feel like I just have no clue what's going on half the time? <laughs> I think it was yesterday. I listened to the press conferences from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And Brandon Bean was asked a question, I think, about like free agency and maybe picking up a big name wide receiver or something to that effect. And Brandon Bean basically said that he doesn't see the team going after a big name that's going to cost a lot of money because, especially on offense, he doesn't feel like we're just one piece away. And he said that it was telling to him that we lost the very first round in the playoffs. So that means that we're definitely not just one piece away from being a true contender in the Super Bowl. So going back to kind of what I said, I think that they've kind of felt like that all year where mm -hmm. they're not just one piece away from being Super Bowl contenders. And if I'm being honest, they probably were a little bit surprised that they actually did do as well as they did this year and make the playoffs. So that's why I think this year was more of a season to help him develop whether we lost or not. Let's throw that ball as much as we can. Get Josh used to throwing under pressure, used to throwing on the run, used to standing in the pocket, you know, all the different nuances of being a true passer. Whether we win or lose, it doesn't matter. Let's get him used to that this season so that he could be ready for it in his third season. That's a really interesting point because let's remember, we've run across this little tidbit several times that Josh is actually about 10,000 reps behind Baker Mayfield since playing in college. Mm -hmm. You know, because Baker played, I believe he played all his four years and whatnot. And Josh didn't really get ripping until halfway through. Well, he lost a lot of his sophomore year, so he, he really only had a couple of seasons under his belt. So you could be right in terms of just giving him reps. You know, obviously, I don't think that's something that's like a priority. It's like, oh, we, we're going to pass only because we're going to make sure that he gets X number of reps. I think it was evolved in the mm -hmm. game plan. But I think the philosophy that you're talking about is probably right. It's like, well, we're not going to hold back just because we think we need to rush the ball. You know, they're going to have a balance between running the ball and passing the ball. And Sometimes that balance will be skewed for a variety of reasons. I guess for me, it was just sometimes I felt like the offensive scheme was a bit erratic. That could be just my brain um, entirely, but it seemed like the, the offensive game plan shifted gears a lot. And sometimes, as you pointed out, away from what was working, you know, the running game would be working and then all of a sudden it would stop. So that's probably the only question mark I have, and I'm not adept enough to be able to evaluate an offense to know whether or not Brian Dayball is like the best play caller in the world. But I can tell you that it flows when it flows right. Like he had several games this year where everything just flowed right in terms of his play calling. And it seemed to make a lot of sense. And the game flowed from one quarter to the next, you know, and then there were these games where it was kind of erratic. And, and so I don't know what that's all about. But the other thing I can say to that, though, is let's always remember that we had nine new players on offense. And I think that's a point that keep, people keep forgetting in terms of why the offense didn't click, didn't perform, didn't do this, didn't do that. There were nine new players. You're right. Before the Texans game, Michael Robinson on Good Morning Football said that he talked to the players and they didn't script the first like so many plays, maybe like the first 15 plays or so that they weren't scripted at all. So and he disagreed with that. And he said, you know, as a player, I want to know what's going on when I first come in the game so I can hype myself up and get ready. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the other person who was talking to him, I forget who it was, said that, you know, actually they're kind of a young team at crucial spots. So that might be a good thing. So right. I don't know, but, but that might go a little bit into it too. I feel like this whole season, whereas the first season was kind of getting everybody on the same page a little bit and, you know, getting used to each other. This season was more of a trial and error season to see what our quarterback can handle and what he can't and to get him used to things for the future. Yep. I agree. Okay. Let's talk about the game a little bit. In the game against the Texans, there was a definite difference, especially in the defensive philosophy between the first half and the second half. What do you think that difference was? And why don't you like that? Well, at the risk of triggering bad memories, I kept having flashes of Dick Geron's face. Mm. The prevent defense that we all came to know and hate some years ago seems to have reared its head again. And I'm not sure, but I'm hoping that one of the things that Sean McDermott looks at in the off season when he does his self-scouting is being too conservative and not dominating an opponent in terms of victory. And by that, I mean, when you're up by 16 points, you don't take your foot off the pedal, especially in a playoff game. And You see how defensively it seemed like instead of being able to dominate, it was, okay, we'll just let you guys, it's the bend, not break thing. You know, between Mm -hmm. the 20-yard lines, everything was kind of fluid. And then they counted on the defense to be able to hold at the 20-yard line, which they weren't always able to do. But the bottom line is, I don't like the prevent defense. I don't like it. I think that if you're starting out and playing a certain way and you're winning with that strategy, why would you change it? Yeah, you're right, though. And the bend but don't break defense, that's every time I hear that term or think of that term, you're right, Dick Duran pops in my brain and it's just not a pleasant experience. I hate it. So it was very frustrating to me because we had the the second best defense in the league and you would think that being up by 16 points after the first half, you would think that the defense would be able to hold that, right? you know, and that was what was frustrating to me. I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe they got tired and a little bit gassed. Yes, they were playing down to their opponent and they played a little too conservatively, but I think it was McDermott that had said on that third and 18 play, which would have been a turning point for me in my mind in that game, that some of the young players got a little too deep when they should have come up a little more. And that's what happened. And that's what caused them the Houston Texans to convert that third and 18. And it seems like that's sort of been the case all year, at least in my mind, where there's third and long and we're really good at getting them in third and long situations. And then they crumble and they somehow give it the hell up. And it's, it's really frustrating and really annoying, but yeah, there's a lot of young players in important positions on the defense, especially, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, for instance, very young, Matt Milano's still pretty young player. So I think that's just a matter of, you know, they've talked about gap integrity before. They've talked about really learning the defense and understanding where they're supposed to be. And I think that will come with time as well. So I think it was just kind of a young mistake. And they're going to learn from that. They're going to take this into the off season, And now they know what they can and can't do. And I think that's so important. So in a way, yeah, it sucks that the Bills lost and that we went home. But for this young team, it's a, it is a building block. And they are going to turn that pain into something much better coming up in Josh Allen's third year. 
Absolutely. And I think that that's something that Sean McDermott alluded to in his press conference, the pain that they went through and, and everyone felt it because I think, I kind of think people really reacted more to losing this game because we were up by 16 points. You know, if we, mm-hmm. if we had gotten dominated or, you know, whatever, I think most of us would have just said whatever, but we should have won that game. You know, when you're up by 16 points, you shouldn't lose those games. So that's something that, as I alluded to before, McDermott's going to need to do some self-scouting and figure out where do you let up on the gas pedal? I don't think that you let up on it as quickly as he did in that game. Personally, I don't ever want to see them let up on the gas pedal unless they're like 42 to nothing. I think I'm over that at this point because it gets really tiring and really frustrating knowing that this team whether they're good or bad, are going to stick around until the very end, until we decide to put the game away. And usually that's not until like the last minute. So I just, I don't ever want to see them take their feet off of the gas pedal. And I think that that's something that Sean McDermott is also, I mean, he's still a fairly young head coach in this league. So I think that he's going to look at all of this and his clock management skills and things like that and and self-evaluate. And I think that he'll, learn from that as well, just like Josh Allen will, just like the rest of the team will. And things will change heading into the 2020 season. Those nine of 11 new players on offense have a lot of experience under their belt now, and you're going to be adding pieces, not turning the entire offense over. And that's the other reason we kind of have to, going back to Brian Dayball, it would be so nice not to have a new offense, to have to learn. Just having the same play calls and and everything else will make it much easier for Josh to progress if he doesn't have to completely relearn a new playbook. We just lost our defensive line coach, Bill Tierlink, I think his name is, to uh, Virginia Tech. So that's already kind of a big deal because I know that not only was he a good coach, but the defensive line really liked him. And Ed Oliver especially had a really great relationship with him. So that's going to hurt already. I don't think we need to put any more kind of pressure or lose any more pieces in our coaching staff. So I really hope that Brian Dable can stick. Yeah, I agree. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now's the big topic of our podcast, who we love to analyze psychologically and mentally. (laughs) Josh Allen. So what the hell happened to him? I mean, he came out in the first half and he was on fire. He looked so good and so sharp and he was getting praised by the analysts and people were tweeting out, oh, we were wrong about Josh Allen. And then the second half rolls around and he just crumbles. And everybody said, you know, he looked like a deer in headlights. Why? Like what happened to him, Robin? Well, this is going to go back to our psychobabble from several podcasts ago, actually one of our first podcasts. And I may have to do one of these just so it's like, you can have this link and listen to this because we're going to talk about it over and over and over again. Many people have referred to Josh's jitters. I think we addressed an entire podcast. We You titled it after that. 
um, talking about how he gets too jacked up before games start and he's got to learn how to control his emotions. I think the first thing I want to do is talk just real briefly about the stress response, because that's what happened to Josh. When you look at how Josh came out and started the game, he was focused. And by the way, this is kind of an aside, but I was completely impressed with the way Brian Dayball came out with a game plan that engaged Josh Allen running, engaged Josh Allen catching a touchdown. You know, Josh Allen was all over the place on that drive. And I think the reason that Dayball did it was to get his brain engaged. So he handled his jitters. His jitters went away because he was too engaged in trying to figure out how he was going to get this drive happening. And he was very involved in that process. So that was a good thing, I think, by Brian Dayball. Now, what happens in that stress response that we see from Josh, you get a squirt of adrenaline comes out of your adrenal cortex. Your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your pupils dilate, your blood sugar raises, the blood flows from away from your gastrointestinal tract into your muscles. And it's instantaneous almost in terms of how fast it happens. What I see with Josh is he appears, in my view, to be someone that, that you might call a hot reactor. And a hot reactor is a person who their stress response is over-exaggerated. So in other words, they produce higher blood pressure and higher heart rates given maybe X amount of, of adrenaline. So their body responds differently. And I think to some extent, Josh may be a high reactor. The, these are people who are very quick to, their emotions are you know right on the surface and they react almost immediately to every threatening stimuli in their way. And I think it's clear after watching him for the first two years that, that he may well be a very hot reactor. And if that's the case, he's got to teach himself how to control that. Now, you can't completely eliminate it because, you know, if you're a hot reactor, you're a hot reactor. It's like, do you have blue eyes or do you have brown eyes? But what you can do is modulate. You can, you can modify that response a couple of different ways. One way to do that is through some relaxation techniques where you can teach people breathing techniques. It will help calm them and stop that response, which I think is, they're, you know, they're kind of easy to do. And I think it's something he should really consider learning how to breathe his way through when his stress level reaches a certain point. And then the other thing, and you and I talked about this in our pre-production meeting, I would go deeper than that because I think... There's even more to this in terms of Josh having a psychological reaction when things don't go his way. I think the re response that he has is, okay, he's already jacked up. He's like a deer in the headlights. And we know that also there's three stages to the stress response. There's the alarm stage where your body just goes completely into overdrive. The resistance phase where that's where you're actually taking the action. You're either fighting or you're flying, you know, fleeing. And then the third stage, and this is the one where I think Josh gets caught in the fatigue stage, because once you've had a stress response and it's processed in your body anywhere from 90 to 120 minutes later, you then go swing to the other side in terms of you're completely wiped out and exhausted. Mm -hmm. 
And I think if you look, if you go just look at the expression on Josh Allen's face throughout the game, in the second half, when things were kind of slipping away, you could see the panic. I mean, there was no question you could see the panic in his face. He was blushing. He was flushing. You and I talked about that. That can be an added response of embarrassment on top of triggering your stress response for every other reason. Because when, you know, when he's making stupid mistakes, it's not like he doesn't know it. He's making stupid mistakes and he's in the middle of of something really, really bigger than he can handle at that moment. I think he was overwhelmed. I really do. What can you do about it? The relaxation techniques are one thing. But the other thing that I think seriously he should consider is doing some deeper psychotherapy work to uncover what it is that triggers that response in him where he starts to get panicky and completely out of sorts. Because I think that that's, that's a little different than just a stress reaction. So, you know, what is it underneath in your brain that makes you go into freeze frame mode when you need to be functional. Because we've always seen Josh be functional in the fourth quarter. I mean, we've seen that from him. So why in this game was he completely befuddled? I think it's because it was the playoff experience. It was that one step, that one level higher. And emotionally, he got rolled. Absolutely. And also because the Bills haven't won a playoff game since 1995. So he had a lot on his shoulders. So I think it's funny that you mention when he was flushing because I get flushed a lot. And I've always been like that from a little kid. Now, I know that recently I was diagnosed with something called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which some of us actually, we get a rush of adrenaline constantly through our bodies, whether we're adrenalized or not for no reason, basically, you know, I could be sitting there and get Mm -hmm. this rush of adrenaline and I get really flushed for no reason. And I start feeling anxious and anxiety and things like that. And you're right. What happens is, you know, you get that rush of adrenaline, you get anxiety, my face turns bright red and everybody's looking at me like I just ran a damn marathon and I'm just sitting on my couch doing nothing. And I start getting nervous and upset and, you know, feeling like I had to do something. And then when that starts to wear off, I'm completely wiped out and I just want to lay in bed for six hours because I'm tired. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what it feels like. And I remember watching the game with my husband and I noticed him blushing too. And I thought, boy, that's so weird because I haven't seen him like that. And I said, you know, boy, that reminds me of me. That's what I look like half the time. So Mm -hmm. I immediately understood what he was going through. And I kind of said to myself, "Uh uh-oh, I think he's going to fall apart a little bit here because I just noticed so much of myself in him. And I also think, like me, Josh Allen is a bit of a perfectionist. And that's a really hard thing to break away from when you've been like that your whole life. So I know that both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott had said that Look, the fact of the matter is Josh Allen tried to do too much and he has to realize that he doesn't have to carry the whole team on his back. But that's not an easy thing for people like us to break away from. You know, we're independent. We're used to being the leader and taking control of situations and doing it all. And that's just something that is going to have to happen over time when he learns to trust the players around him more and learn to trust his own instincts and the game keeps slowing down for him. But that's not just going to happen right away. He's going to want to be the hero all the time for a while because that's how I am. 
you know, that's it. It's, it's always been like that, whether it was at work or, you know, when I played basketball or when I was on the mock trial team, like, you know, anything that I was involved in, I always thought that it was up to me, up to me, up to me. And yeah, that's, you know, something I'm not sure. You know, I remember when I was younger, if I got a B on anything like Josh Allen, I would get adrenalized because I would be so scared to take it home to my parents to show them because that wasn't good enough for me. And my face, what I could always feel it burning bright red. And I would come home and my parents automatically knew that something like that was up because my face would show it. So I think that's just such an interesting thing that you brought up because it's true and it's real. And I believe that's exactly what happened on Saturday. Yeah. And and to just further note on this, the the issues that need to be looked at are, are, again, are deeper than just the superficial, you know, yeah, let's teach you how to breathe stuff. It's really important to uncover when you talk about being a perfectionist, why are you a perfectionist? This is what psychotherapy can help people explore. Mm -hmm. And I know this sounds hokey to all the people who are football analysts who look at physical traits, but it's very important to also understand truly what motivates people. And one of the great things that motivates people, guess what, is fear. It can be fear of failure. It can be fear of, you know, any number of things. But it's often very helpful for someone who has performance issues to sit back and examine why do you feel the way that you do? If you can connect those dots, very often it becomes much easier to deal with them. If you look at Josh Allen also, another trait about him is that he's an overachiever. And if you look at from high school, he wasn't recruited out of high school. Nobody really wanted him. So what does he do? He goes out and sends out a gazillion applications to all these colleges and writes letters to each and every one of them until he got the call from Wyoming. And look at what he's doing now. Nobody thought that he would ever succeed at the NFL level. And here he is in his first playoff game in the second year of his pro football career. Exactly. He's doing, he's doing things that nobody thought he was going to be able to do. He's overachieving. And that's just, it's, it's that kind of type A personality. And that's why I relate mm. to it. I'm a perfectionist. I'm an overachiever. I am motivated by fear. I hate failure. I understand where this guy's coming from. So it's no surprise to me that he did crumble a little bit in the second half because mentally he was just all over the place. Well, exactly. And and the other thing about that is some people, as you described yourself, and I think Josh may also have this type of reaction. There are people we call hot reactors. And people who are hot reactors, they're, you know, as I mentioned before, their blood pressure goes up right. faster, um, their heart rate goes up higher than a person who would be considered more stoic or laid back. And right. if you know that you have that type of personality, then you understand that there are certain barriers that you're going to have to deal with in terms of your performance. And one of them is to not let the mistakes get to you not let the mistakes define your response, that you control your response, not your instincts, your, you know, your reactivity, your tendency, your genetic tendency. And I chuckle when you say that because I'm definitely a hot reactor. And it's, it took a lot of years to understand what are the triggers for that? What tends to make this person react so significantly mm -hmm. to a particular stimuli? And the next person, eh, you know, I don't care. It doesn't bother me a bit. 
there are differences in, in the way that people think that cause them to respond differently. And you very well pointed that out in terms of the personality differences that people can have. And that's why I think more than just teaching some basic techniques to Josh in terms of controlling his breathing, et cetera, I honestly think that he would benefit from a good shrink. Yeah, I think so too. It just, it kind of, all of this talk sort of brings me back to my childhood a little bit because I remember when I was little and I would be coloring pictures, for instance, if I got just a little tiny spot outside of the line, I would literally take a crayon and scribble on the whole picture and throw it out. I would get so mad. I, I could not allow myself to be a little bit imperfect. Or Mm -hmm. for instance, I remember in second grade, my parents actually had to call a parent teacher conference because I was always straight A's. I didn't have any problems with my grades, but they noticed that during my homework, I was erasing so bad that there was holes in the paper because it just <laughs> wasn't perfect enough. I wasn't printing correctly or I wasn't writing everything. I just kept erasing and erasing and erasing. And they finally, they thought they've actually, I'll be honest, they thought it was the teacher's fault because, you know, she had high expectations, but really that's just who I am and that's who I was. I need to be perfect right. and any little bit of failure gets to me. So that was like a big deal. So all of this stuff with Josh Allen, it's just, man, I relate to them so much. And I I kind of feel bad for him because I know how hard it is to break out of that. But thank God for YouTube because there are so many great videos that you can watch on how to kind of reverse your mentality a little bit and keep mm-hmm. those keep those little OCDs in check when you need to. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, OCD, that's an interesting side topic, maybe for another whole podcast. But I'm thinking what you said is interesting because Josh once mentioned something that it was just completely offhand comment in some interview that he had a while back. They asked him if he had any strange habits. And he said one of his strange habits was that on the volume button on his television, he always had to have the volume end in an even number. It had to be in an even number. And I laughed out loud when I heard that because Mm. there you go. It's like, okay, there's a little bit of interesting thinking. And so those little things that you talk about, yeah, they all take up, they all take energy for one thing. So if you can keep them in control and not let them run away with your mind, you're probably going to perform better overall. Yeah, I agree. You know what? And it's funny when he said that, here's what I immediately thought of. And this might be a little TMI, but it's kind of funny. Um, With toilet paper, when I'm unraveling toilet paper, I have to count and I have to end on an odd number. So (laughs) it's usually three or five before I can rip it off. So I, I totally get that volume button, you know, even number thing. It's just, it's, yep. I think me and him are built mentally a lot alike. So <laughs> I get them. Then you understand, you, yeah, you understand his psyche very well. I get them. All right. So let's go to the last part of our podcast. This will actually be the very last giveaway for the season. And Jim Ruther was kind enough to give us the all pro Trey White autographed eight by 10. So that's what you're playing for this week, guys. It's the last one of the season. Make sure you get those screenshots in. Make sure you follow the Mafia Mavens podcast on Twitter. It's at the Mafia Mavens. And make sure you follow at Jim Ruther, which is at Jimmy R-E-U-8-1. And when that pin post goes up later today, our podcast will actually come out on Thursday. Make sure you get those screenshots in. So good luck. 
before we go, make sure that you're listening to all of the podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. We all do such a fantastic job of giving you Bill's news weekly. And we all have such different opinions on things. So you won't really find content anywhere else that encompasses the entire fan base, like on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. And those podcasts are Believe, Blitz Bills, Buffalo Rumblings Q&A, The Nick and Nolan Show, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings, Circling the Wagons, and our own Mafia Maven Show. As always, Bills fans, thank you so much for listening, and let's go Buffalo. Buffalo.